Hey guys, if you can think about how you found this podcast, maybe it's on Instagram or TikTok, maybe someone shared it with you. I don't run ads for the show or have sponsorships, so the only way this grows is through word of mouth. If this was valuable for you in any way, my only ask is if you could share this with someone who you think would help their investing journey or business. Thanks a lot, and let's get to the episode. Welcome to STR Like the Best. I'm Michael Chang, your host. It's my great pleasure to welcome my friend, Travis Hall. Travis is based in Long Beach, California. He is a realtor. 1% of his day, other 99% he spends on short-term rentals. Well, Travis, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. This is my first podcast ever, so please have some patience and grace for me. (laughs) Absolutely. We love, uh, we're the kindest podcast out there. So you will, uh, this will be a great competition. I'm really excited about this. We met in Nashville about almost two months ago, and I think we were at a hospital party and I really enjoyed our conversation. So I'm like super excited to have us to catch up and talk. You are doing some really cool stuff and I love to, I want to dig in on it like immediately. You start with an arbitrage unit, you're bought something with creative financing in Memphis, and now you're working on two really cool projects. So I want to hit on all that. But before we start, and I didn't give you time to prepare for this for everyone's benefit, but I always, I kind of ask this question at the beginning. What is your kind of craziest short-term rental story since you've been doing this? I'm glad you asked. I do have one loaded up because okay. this is also a question I love to ask people, especially when they have dozens of units, you hear wild stuff, but craziest one, or I guess the one that caught me off the most, I got a message from a guest. Hey, Travis, I'm locked inside the garage. And I didn't understand how that was possible, but actually in the unit behind me, this is a duplex. We have a a garage door that you can pull open and close on the outside. There's a latch that you can put a padlock on to keep anyone from getting in there. They went inside, closed the door, put the latch closed for some reason, didn't lock it, but closed it. And then for fire safety, when you go inside the garage through the house, that door's supposed to close. That door closed and locked themselves in. They couldn't push the door open. They couldn't get back in the kitchen. Oh. So luckily, I was over there. I was able to walk over, open the garage door. And when the garage door opened up, there was like three people like in the dark. I was so glad to see the light. The pretty tame story, but good the good you were close by there. I would hate, it's kind of like getting stuck in the elevator. I was just like, here, like, that's probably, it is one of my fears, like, when I hear the elevator go, oh man, I don't think anything bad had happened, but just also being stuck in a little confined space without being able to get out for like hours on end, it's always scary. But good, good thing you're close by. So tell us, like, how did you start? The, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, how did you start short-term rentals? I know you're a realtor, so you already love real estate. How'd you get into short-term rentals? Man, I feel like just dumb luck is how I got into short-term rentals, really. When we bought our first house, like I said, a duplex, a more experienced realtor said, get a duplex, get a multifamily if you can. And then he basically explained house hacking to us. We had no idea what that was. Once we got the house, that tenant moved out shortly afterward. And I heard a podcast talking about short-term rentals. I thought, hey, let's just give this a shot. We basically left all of our old furniture. We did everything wrong, Michael. We left all of our old furniture from our apartment in there just to test it out. And, yeah. and within maybe 20 days, our mortgage was covered. We're like, holy crap. Like this, <laughs> And without any professionality, just like learning as we're going. And so that was October, 2021. And so we're just about a year and a half into it. And once we started seeing that success with that, we just really wanted to learn more. And so we've revamped a lot of things. A few months after that, I got an arbitrage just a few streets down because I wanted to get a little more, something a little bit more removed than just the wall behind me and set up a few more smaller properties, a little camper van. I set up that as a 
Airbnb. And so that gets booked up like maybe once a month or like for a weekend, a month or so. And okay. then I just kept going from there. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. Look, that's awesome that you took action, right? You heard, you heard a podcast, you bought something, you bought something, heard a podcast. Let's just try it. And it's great. You're taking existing furniture. You probably put in maybe a couple hundred bucks, but just something small just to see if it works. Right. And I think that's a lot of times like people struggle with just starting. And I really always push that to start, right? And yes. sometimes it, there's only like a certain max loss, right? I, I lost a couple, I, I lost a couple hundred bucks, a couple thousand bucks, but like just the act of starting, it just like, it opens up so many doors. So it's so cool to hear that, that you did that. Okay. So house hack, probably not the best situation to have one wall dividing. You're like, okay, let's grow this business. This works. My mortgage is covered. I got my arbitrage unit. Tell us like kind of. Did you get more arbitrage units in Long Beach or Long Beach, California, or did you start venturing out from there? After the, so the first arbitrage also not ideal. And I, I discovered your channel a few months, maybe, maybe six months ago. So when I met you at the conference, I was like, oh, that's Michael. Unfortunately, I wasn't listening to your podcast before I got the arbitrage because I probably could have saved myself a bunch of dumb mistakes that I <sighs> didn't getting that one. That one's also a multifamily. And so unfortunately my neighbors don't take care of their property. And I've had to give several refunds of, Hey man, this place looks trashy just because there's junk outside. And so learning with that, but I think I am, I probably will keep at least one arbitrage here in Long Beach, just because it's so popular and you have all the benefits of arbitrage while still having one in Southern California. So I probably yep. won't expand into that, but I'll probably still keep one just because of the cash flow and um, all the conveniences of that. Got it. So Let's, I mean, and I love diving into numbers. So if you wouldn't mind sharing. So the one that, tell us about the, your, the one that you started off with, right? The do, how big is, you bought a duplex? Is it like the one that you're running out? Is it a, how big is it? What's the layout? It's a three bedroom, two and a half bath. It has a two car garage below it. And the way the duplex is set out is we share a wall behind us. No, it's, you don't, I don't ever okay. have your feet above me. I'm not worried about making noise from people below me. So it's ideal. It has a shared driveway. Okay, cool. Awesome. As far as the numbers go, are you curious? So they have their own garage. Uh-huh. Yeah. So just but before we hit there, so three, three, two, they, do they have that, they park, they can park two cars there or no? Yeah. They can fit like two they, they can use their garage. garage. Correct. Oh, okay. Cool. Awesome. Is parking important in Long Beach? Is it important oh, to have parking man. there? Yeah. Good. Great question for context. So Long Beach was not a city designed with tons of, of either just driveways to have your car in the driveway. And as it, as the city has expanded, parking is a premium in this area. And so our street is no exception. We luckily they can park two cars in the garage, which is a huge wow. plus. And so for a long time, I had a three bed house with garage. But to a lot of people, they're like, yeah, like, that's standard. Like, what house doesn't have it? In Long Beach, it is a blessing if you have a group. Oh, uh, okay. Awesome. Yeah, look, and that's the beauty of doing stuff in your backyard. Like, you just know, like, those little nuances that a lot of people that aren't in your sub-market can really appreciate. Okay. So, you've been doing that. That's been operating for a year and a half. So, what is your, what's your gross on that? We average about 84,000 a year. So approximately 7,000 a month would be our total revenue from the property. The mortgage on the house is about 5,800. So as soon as we, as soon as we pass 5,800, we're like, Whoa, we're good. We're, we're good. <laughs> of course we have utilities as well. And so on average, we probably pocket anywhere from 500 to, to some months if it's slower 
uh, our living expense might be $200. So anywhere from $500 to $200 out of pocket. Travis, man, like you're living in Long Beach, California, rent-free yeah. and you own the house, right? So the equity appreciation taxes, all that fun stuff. And you live for free, you know, the way that it's laid out, you actually, it's perfect because obviously like living above or below a short-term rental has its issues. But if you're like side to side, that's, that's actually perfect. Thank you. Thank you. That's great. So c congrats on that. That's fantastic. So that's, so that is a solid foundation to your next move into my favorite state or my second favorite state. Tennessee. So tell us what you're doing in Tennessee. Okay. The, this next project that I'm working on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yes. in Tennessee, we are in under contract on a 28 acre. It's actually two lots, but basically what I'm trying to buy is a 28 acre piece of land that has a single family home on it. And uh, sorry, Michael, do you want me to talk about that one or, or the, uh, I was actually referring to Memphis, but if you want to talk about the glamping site, it'd be great. Oh, no worries. If you want to talk about, if you want to talk about the glamping site, great too. But I was, I was actually referring to your Memphis project. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll touch on that one first. Sorry about that. So in Memphis, me and a investing partner no, no, I'll, I'll uh, good. found no Memphis worries. as a property. And then we eventually, after making so many offers, got in touch with an agent who wanted to sell their home, seller finance with, with creative financing as well. So we were able to take over a real estate agent's five bedroom, three bath home for about $60,000, including furnishings. So I think it was about 40, 43,000 for the down payment and uh, about 23 or so for the furniture. So I think it was, yeah, I think it's about 68,000. Got the home, his mortgage, is his mortgage payment is about $1,900 a month with a 3.1% interest rate. And oh my God. That home has been doing very good for us. We're expected to bring in about $6,500 per month in average, average over 12 months. And uh, yeah, as far as the bookings have gone, we've only had a few empty days since the middle of March when we got started. So let's talk about, let's, there's, a couple, there's a bunch of things I want to unpack there, right? First off, like, congrats, like you seem to have the minus toucher. Everything you're touching is, is doing very well. So kudos to you on having a good eye for real estate. So let's recap. So it's a five, three and a half in Memphis that you have for, that you've had for about two months now. Seller financing, which for, so actually this, explain seller, explain exactly what you did for the people that don't understand seller financing. What does that actually mean? At a very high level. Great question. So seller finance is basically the owner who has the pro who has the property is funding your purchase of that deal. So ours is a little complicated because we did seller finance and subject to a lot of people just assume that's all the same thing. Those both fall under the category of creative finance, meaning it's not your traditional finance, it's creative. So we did seller finance. And to be exact on that one, he seller financed $110,000 at 0% interest for eight years. So he lent us that. Then the create, then the subject two is we are taking over his existing mortgage with his interest rate and making those payments on his behalf. So his payment before we bought it was $1,900. After we buy it, it's still $1,900 and the mortgage is still in his name. The deed and the title is in our name. The mortgage is in his name. We pay it on his behalf. Fantastic. How that sounds complicated. And 
I want to hit on the short-term rental side for sure, but that sounds complicated. Did you have a lawyer go and draft all the documents? Because oh. I could think on his side, right? He, the title, the deed is now in your name. The mortgage is still in his name. And yeah. you're obviously a good guy. You're not going to do this, but what's, but if I was on the seller side, what I would say is what if you just don't pay the mortgage? What do I, like, what do I do? Exactly. The big question that every seller has is what happens if you stop paying it, that debt, that foreclosure goes in my name, not in your name. You still have the title of the house in yeah. contract. They have the right to foreclosure. So we still gave them a down payment. They got in, in our example, 40, about $43,000 or so. If we stop making payments, he takes the house back and he has $43,000. So he has that to fall back on. Got right it. Way. He can foreclose. So it, that's in the contract. Yes, we have the, yes, we own the deed yet. He has the first right to the property. If we are foreclosed, the second so thing he, that I would say sorry, is really important would be, I know about this much seller finance. I understand it at a high level. It sounds great. Wouldn't you want to get seller finance at 3% interest all day long, but that's not my expertise. My investing partner, he's in a very popular seller finance created a subject to group. It's a paid coaching program. It's probably the biggest one. It's through Pace Morby. So he has resources to all these uh, materials, lawyers, contracts. So that was his side of the deal. I'm doing the short term. He negotiated everything. I get, I get all the benefit of saying, oh, 3.1% interest rate. Oh, low down payment. That's about <laughs> all I know for that side. He had to set up all the contracts, the lawyers had to assure the seller. This is why it's safe. This has been going on for years. This is how you can benefit. This is how we benefit as well. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. No, like I, I've never done one. I've also just read about it too. Because my, and probably outside the scope of this conversation, but my, my, my question always on those are like, and it's from my investment banking background is just like where you are in the senior, like where you are in the seniority of that cap stack. So just a, a different way of saying the mortgage has the first, the first, they have the first lien. Correct. Correct. And then the seller finance paper that eight years at zero percent, like your man, if your partner is a genius, that's fantastic outcome. Eight years at no, at zero percent, I assume a bullet there at the end that, or you have to refinance mm -hmm. or do something with it. And then the seller is on third position actually, because or, or he's in the second position because he has the debt piece and then he has the equity piece that he can foreclose for you on. That's always like my, uh, it, maybe I'm overthinking it, but that's always, I was like, I haven't been able to wrap my mind around that. I need to do more work on that. But that aside, like that's a fantastic outcome for you, especially that you've been able to have four nights of vacancy in what is probably a typically slow season in Memphis, I would assume March, April. And now you're going to hit the yeah. summer and you're going to kill it. Yeah, no, definitely in March, gloomy weather most of the time. Yet April, I think a lot of schools are in spring break. And so it was pretty packed during April. Only a couple weeknights that were vacant, but it's been okay for us so far. Why the five bedroom? What makes the five bedroom special in Memphis? Yeah. So when you look at all the active listings, like today in Memphis, so Memphis is a huge city, over over 600,000 people. It's the biggest metro in this part of the country. Oh, is it really? When you look oh, no. at okay. the five-bedroom homes, there's about 40 or so that are that exist, okay? When you start looking at the ones that are operate at a super host level, there's like 12, okay? Okay. 
when you look at a four bedroom home, there's like 300. And when you jump down to a three, two, the most common home in America, there, it's in the thousands. Off the bat, just with having five bedrooms, I'm instantly in a smaller pool of competition. And then when you add in how professional are they with their, with their reviews, I'm in like, I'm like in one out of 12 or one out of 15, something like that. Fantastic. You're choosing, and this is a great point that I want to highlight. You, being successful in the short-term rental game, it's a lot of it's about just choosing which pawn, which game that you play. And I think for you, it's smart, right? Like you found a good market, but within that market, what actually works, right? Three bedrooms sounds fairly saturated. Five bedrooms, only 40. And then if you break it down even further, it's only in the teens. So talk us through a little bit about how you did that. Like what data source did you use? Like how did you get to... How did you construct this game for yourself where, you know, you're likely to win? Definitely. So again, with this house, just like how I got started, I feel like Michael, it was just dumb luck. I'm not this, the brilliant investor architecting everything. Now I feel like, man, I need to be so picky with what I'm getting, but so far everything's been working tremendously for me. But basically this house, and even going back to like, how did seller finance work? The person we talked to suggested it to us. So that was one big objection is like, hey, I'm interested in doing that. So we didn't have to do a whole lot of convincing. They presented that <laughs> to us like, okay, yeah, we'll take a look at it. It was a five bedroom and we're like, that wasn't ideally what we were looking for. It was, we were looking for something a smaller price range, but all the numbers worked out. And then basically after the fact, we're like, hey, there's only 40 other homes in Memphis that are large. And then of those, only 25% of those are doing a decent job, like the basics yeah. of operating. And the way we found that out um, would be with Price Labs was of course like the a huge help as far as what could we expect for revenue? How many listings are there? Price Labs was able to give us all that. And then right away, we could click on those homes. What do they look like on the inside? What are their reviews? What's their occupancy? What's their nightly rate? Yeah, fantastic that using, yeah, like uh, speaks to doing the work, using data to your advantage, not just relying on anecdotes from someone in that market or from the seller and just using that to, to frame your decision. Uh, fantastic. On, let me ask you on this, did he ask for above market price or was the price that he wanted comparable to what other five bedrooms were going for in Memphis at the time? Yeah, almost always when you do seller finance or creative finance, the big strength to the seller is, Michael, I know you want to sell your home at, at $480,000, but if you would do seller finance, we could give you 500. So that's usually the strong pull to a seller to do that. And so that's exactly what we did. His home was on the market for about 485. We wrote up our offer to be 505, but oh, got it. majority okay. of it, him carrying the debt. Yeah, no, that, that I haven't run the math, but if you if it's only if it cost, if it only cost you twenty thousand to get a three point one rate <laughs> and get someone to write a zero percent eight eight year financing deal for you, that's more than worth it. So, so kudos to kudos again to to you and your partner. Okay, so so that deal. So you think you'll do about seventy seventy five? Let's this is big around number seventy five this year. Okay. After all expenses, what do you think you're going to net for the year for this property? Based on like pro forma, I believe we're trying to net approximately $2,000 per month. And so I, we're hoping to net about 24 at the end of the day. 
Fantastic. Are you, do you have like the systems pretty dialed in? Do you have like a PMS system? You obviously have price labs. Do you have a good cleaning? Do you have a good cleaning? How do you find your cleaning team on the ground? Man, I could have given you a horror story. When you asked, oh, what's a scary story? My Memphis cleaner could have been a scary story. Basically, I found my first cleaner I found on Facebook, just like in a cleaning group. And that worked out good for a little bit. But then I just started noticing getting these really strange charges from her that were extra or just out of the blue. Eventually, like I went with another referral for another cleaner. And so far, that's been wonderful. It's been a cleaner handyman combo. And awesome. able to set up video doorbell for me, replacing, give me, even giving me helpful suggestions like, hey, Travis, your coffee maker is good. Why don't you try this one instead? It's just been very helpful with that. But so my cleaner has been great so far, but yeah, I use hospitable for my messaging service. That's been great for, for everything so far. Cleaner has been great. Handyman. Okay. And then I guess a few other improvements we want to do down the road is we definitely want to add a hot tub, but that's another big amenity that so many listings are missing. But when you yep. look at the, I think one of the top performing ones is a pool hot tub combo. And that, wow. one's, that one's grossing closer to, like, I think, 130 is the price of this. Oh, my gosh. Oh, like, you got to do that immediately. Huge, yeah. A huge gap between number one and two, just with that little amenity. And so we'll also have our team set up something like that in the next, hopefully, the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Hot tubs definitely now are all the rage. It is like the new... It is like the short-term rental menu that's really going to, that has the highest ROI right now. So good to, good for you to put that in. Highly recommend doing that. We've done that in our cabs in Tennessee and have seen some really good results. I think you talked a little bit. So let's transition topics for a second. What are, you know, we talked about this a little bit. What are your two new projects coming up? Some really interesting stuff that I really want to touch on. Let's start with the, uh, let's start with the Joshua Tree one. Okay. We'll start closer to me and then work my way towards you. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. So as of, I think, Thursday or Friday of this past week, the April 30th or 29th, we closed on a 10-acre lot in Joshua Tree. The purchase price, they, I think they had it listed at 95 and I was able to represent us and negotiate and show comps. We got it for 82 awesome. so a little bit of a discount. It has water on the lot, which is a huge deal. And Joshua Tree is a big desert, and there's already restrictions on getting well access, but we have city water so that we're, we're able to circumvent that issue. And our plan is to build 10 luxury campsites or glamp sites that, that have a shower, have a bathroom, maybe a small like cooking area, all self-contained and spacious enough to where we're not trying to pack people in there like sardines, but through San Bernardino County, we're allowed to have 10 with a conditional use permit. So that's what we're planning for. We have 10 acres. We want to have 10 campsites evenly spaced out wow and then also okay. a rv hookups are huge and i feel like that's such a an awesome opportunity for low maintenance you're not providing yeah. you're providing water and power and that's it there's no cleaning there's no turnover and those can bring in 50 bucks a night yeah in some of these areas and so we're also on, on the edge of our property have a few of those sites as well where you can drive your rv in get hookups and stay there as long as you'd like that's awesome. Yeah, I've heard, I've actually, we did some work on RV parks before and they're, they can be, they can do really well. Tell me about the clamping site though. Is it hard to, you, you kind of have to build your own, you got to build, you got to build these, right? So you got to ship them out and construct yeah. them and maintain them. And how do you do, I just, how do you do all that? I wish I could tell you like, oh, Michael, this is how we did it. 
we're just in the theoretical phase right now, man. I'm like, in my mind, it makes sense, but yeah, we still have to execute it. One thing that's going for me is my partner, Casey, on this deal, super, super crafty, has construction experience. His dad has construction experience. Man, I feel like I'm just going along. I'm as willing. I'm going to drive my van out there and I'll work in the desert alongside them for sweat equity. But I'm really in, in a partnership. We both have our strengths and weaknesses. So I'm going to really lean on them for a lot of the construction side. I've got some ideas. We want something that's going to be durable. So a canvas yeah. tent is good for a few years, but then you have to replace it. And so All we're right. probably moving away from that. We want something a little more durable that's going to at least have a 10-year lifespan before any required maintenance on it. So even uh, what, what is that? Like What's 10 years? What can survive 10 years in the desert? I'm just, I'm really curious because I, I went to Joshua Tree a few years ago. Like it's, I love it. It's part of beautiful, but it's 110 during the day and like negative 110. That's a pretty, that's a pretty drastic. Uh, Talking about the moon. The moon changes. is 110 <laughs> on the sun side and then negative 110. <laughs> but, no, yeah, it, it does get up there in the summer. That's definitely the slowest season because it is up there in the triple digits. In the winter, yeah, it'll get, it can get below freezing. What we're picturing is more, is probably closer to a small cabin, like a stick build, possibly. Or uh, yeah. there, we even entertain the idea of a geodesic dome. So it's a hard shell on the outside, but it would be ju just very similar to other construction out there. Gotcha. So that, that's what okay. we're picturing. Um, probably about 400 yeah. square foot max, something, something oh, small. Oh, small. Okay. It's like couples and stuff from LA. That makes sense. Um, exactly. How do you yeah. find something like that? Oh, two ahead, people sorry. for this. How do you get financing for something like that? We're cash? one, we brought in a capital partner to buy the land. So my Casey, my Casey, my partner, Casey and I both brought about $3,000 to the table. And then the rest of it is being financed by a equity partner who's bringing everything else we need about to purchase the land and then plenty of cushion. But we're, instead of just using that cash to build one or two units, which is about all we could do with the capital brought we're going to get an SBA loan. So we're actually in the process right now of securing more financing with the capital that we have so we can construct everything at once. You're doing great, man. You're leveraging all the different creative financing techniques that are out there. Like this is such a creative project. You're getting land, but it's it sounds like the permitting and the, you've thought ahead about the permitting, the water, power. I don't know, but I presume you'll figure that out. We need power, yep. And, yeah, and then having people with construction experience using SBA, and then you have your creative financing at 3.1 in, in Memphis, you house hacked your duplex into someone paying your mortgage for you, and you have a driveway that was probably the, such a premium in your location. Fantastic. Like, just really, really well done. Love it. I just, I love it. It's fantastic. But now, now to Coup de Gras, right? The, the one that you're working on, you said you're in escrow. Tell us about the other project you have ongoing. The other one is has some similarities. So this is in a town called Clinton, Tennessee. It's just west of Knoxville. And this is a larger property project. It's a 28-acre property. It has a three-bed, one-bath house on it, and then a detached garage that's about 1,600 square feet. And on that property as well, there's four dilapidated, disgusting mobile homes that need to get moved out, sold out, <laughs> burned out, something. But that's what's on there right now. And we're trying to do something, I guess, similar with this property. Ideally, we found out through the through Anderson County, they don't want any 
a permanent structure on a lot. Oh, they don't want more than one permanent structure on a lot. And so right now, as it sits, it's two lots at about 14 acres. So what we're going to do is slice and dice up the land so they each are on different lots. So we can put tiny homes as well, but more like maybe cabin or A-frame style uh-huh. homes on these smaller lots. And then on the back 20 acres, they just copy and paste glamp site back there on the hills. So you have a view of the valley. That's what we're working on right now. Got it. How do, and is the same partner or different partner on this project? Totally different people, but almost identical setup. I brought a capital partner that I think is bringing the exact same amount of money. I don't know what's so magical about this number, but they both are bringing the exact same amount of capital. And <laughs> okay. then my, my other partner is in, his name is Hugo. He lives in Knoxville, very familiar with the area. And he's been my boots on the ground as far as meeting up with GCs to get quotes. He's going to help. He's also I'm going to be a huge help with the boots on the ground for our personnel. So once we have nine, nine campsites in Tennessee, they don't want 10. They said you can do nine without a special permit. So I'm like, okay, we'll just start with nine. So he's going to be managing the turnover for nine campsites and then for all the houses as well. So he's going to be a huge part of the operations as far as managing handymen and cleaners for that. So I, I got a question. Look, I think there's a common thread here that I haven't hit on that, that I want to hit before we end the conversation. How are you finding such great partners? I think a lot of people, like, that's why there's probably a big struggle, right? They're, they, ha- they have one set of skills they're probably really good at and they're lacking the, another part or they don't have the time. You seem to have found some really awesome partners. What's the secret? Bro, dumb luck is the story of my life, I feel like, Michael. I don't know, man. It just feels like, okay, one thing that I, a big pain I had at the very beginning when I was just getting started at Airbnbs is, man, I'm running out of capital. How do I convince a person to give me money to make them money? And when you have that attitude, it's like a red flag. It's like, man, this person's desperate. I, I probably, I don't want to put any capital with them. They just seem too desperate. But so I had to, the first three short-term rentals, I had to do, I had to finance myself. And then once those were successful, then I was able to casually let people know this is what I do. And then they were like, how can I help? How can I get started? So the power dynamic totally changed to where this is what I'm doing. I'm doing okay, just as I am. I'm not begging for money. I'm not begging for your business. And so capital partners came that way as far as they saw some success, they saw the blueprint. And even as I'd pitch ideas to them, I would always say, if this sounds good to you, great. If not, no pressure. Let me know what you're looking for. And when a deal like that comes along, you'll be the first person that I come to. And so for both these deals, when I pitched the project to them, they were like, yes, we'll do that. So for capital and then for the other partners, I mean, I don't know if it's just like God's sovereignty, whatever, but just the people I've been working with so far have just been such a huge blessing. Actually, Casey, before we even jumped into this massive project, he and I bought a sailboat on Craigslist and made that an Airbnb at Marina Del Rey. So we got a little bit of like practice as partners with just a little bit of capital, seller finance again. Here's the quick numbers. The boat was 12,000. I presented, hey, we'll give you 25% down, $3,000, and we'll make payments each month at 0%. And the owner said, sure. And so then we turned that into an Airbnb and rented that out in Marina Del Rey. That's how Casey and I got our, worked out our partnership kind of agreements was with something like that. And then from there- How'd you find Casey? Like, how'd you find Casey? Like, how'd you and Casey meet? Just at a short-term rental summit. Uh, actually, Tona, it's Tony and Sarah Robinson's Newport Beach. I think it was their first STR summit at Newport Beach. And okay. we just met up there and 
the sailboat thing came up again there. We're like, Hey, we thought about sailboats. And so we both started talking about sailboats. What a great opportunity is. And then a month later we bought a boat and then turned into a short-term rental. Fantastic. Oh, sh- shout out to, to Tony and Sarah. We met them a few years ago. Great people. And look, and again, and then Dick just highlights networking, like going out and putting yourself out, like putting yourself out there. I think a lot of what you talked about, Hey, this is what I do. You never know. Like the universe kind of will come to you if you put your story out there and you're a good person and work hard and are honest about stuff. People like that and will resonate and find you. I do want to, but before I let you go, I do want to hear on that. I've never heard about Airbnb a sailboat. I've heard RVs. One of my, one of my buddies, Jeremy, he has an RV on his parents' house in North Carolina and a lot. How do you, do they, can they go out and sail? Can they go and sail or is this a stock that the and the Marina del Rey, they just got coming in and out. Like, how does that, who manages it? Like, how does that all work? I'm super curious, actually. Michael, if we let Airbnb people take off in a sailboat, that boat would be in the bottom <laughs> of the ocean right now. You know that. So, <laughs> so for that, yeah, we just made it so abundantly clear. This boat does not leave the dock. There's no keys to start the engine. Even if you have sailing experience, no. So we just tied it off and it was just to stay in overnight. Long story short is we eventually sold that boat because the marina, of course, was not happy with what we were doing. But it was a glorious yeah. two months of being, we call it a yacht. It was like a, it was like a 27 foot sailboat, but in our, in my oh, mind, that's it was a, more like a glamorous that's, yacht. That's and, um, <laughs> very um, good. We gave them kayaks to paddle around the marina and it had a little kitchen in there, a little bathroom, like a little triangle shaped bed. I, I couldn't even stand up in the boat. That's a lower ceiling and so you're a tall guy though so people can't see you're also t- you're like me you're a tall dude too and, but so did you make money on that deal yeah. 12, the 12 yeah. did you get it back did you yeah so we bought it for 12. the cool thing is as we were making those zero interest payments each for those two months the bookings paid for the slip fee which was like 700 and then our monthly pay- payment was like 750 and so for those two months all those payments were covered and then once we got the kind letter from the <laughs> marina to definitely stop, uh, we just turned around. We apologized, let them know that we're, we'll stop. And then we turned around and sold it for about 15. There you and go. <laughs> so we got 15 in cash. And then according to our arrangement, we could still make payments on that. But eventually we want to just pay off the, or the lien holder on the boat so that the new owner could get the title free and clear. So yeah. we walked away with a couple of grand back in our pocket. And uh, crazy story. And awesome partner. And the more importantly, an awesome partnership. That's probably the most valuable part of that was it was a partner I can trust and have an awesome time working with. Yeah. That's awesome. Shout and and, and yeah, shout out to Kate. We gotta get him on the show. And I just wanna I wanna and I always talk tell this to my the people that I work with, my my students is just start, right? Even if it's just a sailboat that you only ran for two months, it, it doesn't matter, right? Like just start and it just leads to greener pastures and don't just the analysis, the analysis by paralysis, analysis, I don't know, whatever, however that term goes, it's such a killer because like you just end up not doing anything and it might seem to be the most riskless thing to do. It's not doing anything. It's actually the most wasteful thing because the thing that you're wasting is the time, right? And time is, I don't care if you're Jeff Bezos or whoever, billions, hundreds of billions of dollars, like you never can earn that time back You that you're just letting go away. So whatever you decide to do, just take action. Like really just take action. And the more action you take, the more doors are open up and you're up like Travis with gosh, how a house that's like paid off, 
right? If you do it right and cash flow, like beautiful house in Memphis, you got some really cool projects going on. Really awesome. I'm going to, we'll have you on 12 months from now and get an update on the progress. Okay. Oh, awesome, man. Looking forward <laughs> to it. Yeah, I totally agree. The riskiest thing you can do is not get started. Yeah. Short and sweet. I, I, That's what I think. Uh, obviously, do you do the work? Don't just like willy nilly and just do something on a lark. But if you've done the work, and there's always going to be risks in life and business, so just take that leap forward. As we, you know, and, and as we end the conversation here, I ask my traditional closing question: Short term rentals, just like business, is a long term. It's a team sport. What's one of the kindest things that someone has done for you on your journey so far in the last two years? Your question is, what are the kindest things people have done? Yeah, what is one of the kindest things that someone has done for you? There's a couple of things. One, getting positive reviews of my listings, even though that's that's the bread and butter. And you think that reviews also deserve, but hearing details like, hey, Travis, this was the one vacation that we had this year. And we went to your place and then we went to Disneyland and then we did Universal. To hear that, wow, they picked my place for their one trip that year. That makes my heart, I just feel like that is so sweet. And I'm doing my best to give them a good stay. But for me, I just feel like what an honor that we can be in this business to give people hospitality, professional hospitality. That's huge. And then other little things like I'm on a realtor Facebook group and and I let people know that I'm doing short-term rentals. When a person asks, hey, uh, another realtor asks, hey, I have a client that they're, they've heard all the buzz about short-term rentals. Does anyone know anyone doing short-term rentals? Random people that I've had a limited conversation with will, will say, Travis Hall does. I'm like, they're not asking for a referral fee or anything. I don't even know them that well, but just like them bringing up my name when their clients have a question to me, I feel like that's just so sweet. It's so kind. Like I, I want to give them business for even just thinking of me, but those are two, two kind things that I think have happened. That's fine. You're a good guy. And I can, I think we can all hear that from the, our last oh, kind you. of conversation from the last 30 minutes and kudos to you for doing a great job and look forward to great things ahead. Thank you for coming on the show. Awesome. Thank you for, for thinking of me and inviting me on.